0: If you find yourself furious about the moral decline in our culture, thanking God that you are not as evil as all the pagans around you, it's time to take a hard look at what Paul has to say to us about hypocrites in the hands of an angry God. Our study leader, Dave Wordson, looks at the exposure of the hypocrisy that always infects moralism in Romans chapter 2. Verses one through sixteen. How many of you have some unbelieving friends? How many of you have some unbelieving people that you work with? Okay. Contrary to what we often think, is that's not downtime or time away from what the Lord wants you to do. That's really where the Lord wants you to engage. The Lord wants you to be really involved with unbelievers. He wants you not to be shaped by their sin. But he wants you to be reaching out to them, sharing the good news. And I find that this time of the year is one of those windows of opportunities. You're sitting down in a cafe. How many of you have eaten in a cafe this week? Anybody done that? You're sitting down and some of your friends are there that don't know the Lord Jesus. Maybe, you know, some of the guys that work in construction are coming in the cafe before they hit it. And maybe some of the guys are going to take a trip to Fort Worth or to Dallas. And you're sitting there and and you know that they don't ever go to church. How many of you have some friends that they hardly ever go to church? The one shot you have is they might go to church when... Easter, they might go to church on Easter, all right? So you get your courage up and say, listen, it's kind of an American thing and a lot of people on this one Sunday of the year, why don't you come out and go to church with me on Easter and then we'll go out to eat and have a great time. Now what does your average unbelieving friend, how do they respond to you? And I want to share with you that the response that I get over and over and over again is this. I'm not going to do that because they're just a bunch of... Y'all got it. It sounds like you've been reading my mail. You've heard that, haven't you? They're just a bunch of hypocrites. The average pagan that the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1 has the idea that all of you this morning are a bunch of hypocrites. And, and, And I've also been teaching you... That the average unbeliever, the average believer even, the average person that comes to church on a Sunday morning, a religious person, one of the dominant things that they believe is that the good guys and the good gals, they get in, and the bad guys and the bad gals, they don't get in. Just listen to Wolf this week and you're going to hear country singers talking about that. Okay? And the basic idea among my unbelieving friends is that you all are a bunch of hypocrites, And they're not going to come and join with you because at least they're honest sinners. And they feel that you're a dishonest sinner because you don't think that you're a sinner. Now, what I find amazing as we really say the Word of God, I want you to open to Romans chapter 2. And one of the things I want you to learn is why we study the Word of God is that often the Word of God will agree with what my unbelieving friends think. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, the idea that a bunch of religious church-going people are a bunch of hypocrites, is that true or is it not? Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 is unlike what happened to me one time I did a funeral in in a pretty highfalutin church. And a teenager had died, and I had to do the funeral, which is one of the really hard things to do. And when I got done with the service, I heard later, you know, because of the grapevine, they told me that preacher actually thinks that some of us might not be saved. Because the way that he spoke to us is that we might need to be, you know, to meet Jesus. And he had the audacity of thinking that all of us good church-going people might not be connected with Jesus. And they were very offended by that. Okay? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, instead of agreeing with my church-going friends, he actually agrees with my unbelieving friends. And this will help you in connecting with them because the Apostle Paul actually was one of those religious hypocrites. You see, the Apostle Paul in his early life, if you don't know of the Apostle Paul, let me catch you up really quickly. Uh, The Apostle Paul was Jewish. He was a very orthodox straight-line Jew. He was a Pharisee, which in the first century wasn't a bad guy. That was a good guy, according to their culture. The Pharisee was the person that really went to synagogue. The Pharisee was the person that actually kept all the laws of Judaism. He actually went, or she actually went, the three times of year to the central sanctuary in Jerusalem. People thought the Pharisees were the ones that were a little bit straight-laced, but they, they were kind of like people feel about Mormons today in the American culture. You know, we don't exactly understand everything that they do, but boy, they have good families. Anybody ever heard that about Mormons? And they're religious. That's kind of a common idea. That's how they felt about the Pharisee in the first century, and the writer of our letter in the book of Romans was one of those guys. In fact, he was so intense that he studied at the leading synagogue university, you might say, in Jerusalem under the leading scholar named Gamaliel. Like I've often taught you, he put his academics into shoe leather. He thought there was this little group of people that within Judaism started to preach this heresy that Jesus, that he thought was from Nazareth, was actually the Messiah. And he actually was the Son of God. And the Apostle Paul believed this is heresy. And so he started getting people together, and he threw people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah in jail. And he believed that when he threw them in jail and when he when he prosecuted them, for example, Stephen was one of the early proclaimers of Jesus as the Messiah. This man actually gathered all the cloaks together and said, hey, let me have your coat, let me have your robe, so that you can stone one of these early powerful proclaimers that Jesus is the Messiah. And he actually was right there when they hit Stephen in the head with rocks and killed him. That's how intense the Apostle Paul was. Now, as you open up to Romans chapter 2, you need to keep that in mind. Because the Apostle Paul isn't just speaking from a vacuum. He remembers when he was one of these self-righteous religionists. You say, Dave, how do I know if I'm a self-righteous religionist? How many of you, when you read Romans chapter 1, how many of you have gotten mad at the moral degradation in our culture? Anybody ever gotten angry at the moral degradation in our culture? When I talk to you about homosexuality, how many of you find yourself saying, Oh, that's a horrible, horrible sin. And it is. And you're angry about it. And you feel like, I just can't believe how far our country has come. What the Apostle Paul wants you to realize is as he was teaching in Romans chapter 1, he was speaking to an audience where they would go to temples and worship idols. His religious Jewish audience, when they heard about people that would worship idols and they go to temples, that would just make them sick to their stomach. And they would say, we need to get away from those people because we're not that bad. And some of you might find yourself like that. To be honest with you, as I spoke to you the last time we were together, very few of you in this audience really struggle with homosexual temptation. Now, if you do, I want you to know you're in a good place because I've got a resurrected Savior that whether you were born like that, like I was born as a liar. I was born as arrogant. I was born as a heterosexual luster, someone that lusts after a woman that's not married. And I was born with all those propensities. And I don't know whether it's in my genes. It doesn't make any difference. I don't know whether it's in my DNA or not. All I know is from the time I was a little kid, no one trained me to do those sins, and I do them in my own natural day, except for the transforming resurrected powers of Jesus. So if you have homosexual tendencies, you're not any different than anyone else here. You just have a different area where you're pulled. Okay? Now some of you are horrified. I can't believe that, that you would say that. Well, how many of you get really angry like I shared with you last week about gossip. How many of you get just as angry about gossip as you do about homosexuality? How many of you get just as angry about deceitfulness, telling lies, as you do about homosexuality? How many of you get just as angry about pompous, arrogant self-righteousness, feeling, I'm better than you are? That's what the Apostle Paul wants to talk to us about. Because as he was giving this letter to the Romans... There were a bunch of Romans, especially the religious Jewish element in the church of Rome, that when they read chapter 1, they're going, Paul, we agree with you. Boy, those pagans, man, those Romans in our city, Nero's actually seducing young boys and driving them through the streets and terrible immorality. And what's Rome coming to? And he's a liar and a deceiver. And they're just shaking their head. And they saw these pagan temples all over Rome. But then in Romans chapter 2, the apostle Paul turns the tables. Look what he says. He says, you, therefore, have no excuse. That's right, you, sir, you might say, you, sir, or you, woman, who pass judgment on someone else. Anybody here ever had a judgmental spirit towards someone else? You identify with this? Now, listen what Paul says. You, who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge someone else, the other, you are condemning yourself. Why? Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. This is Paul's argument. The Apostle Paul is saying in verses 1 through 5 is that when we judge others, we condemn ourselves. And the reason he's saying this is as you go through the list in chapter 1, I asked you last week. I ask you, first of all, to try to connect with some homosexuals that you might work with and to try to get across to them that you are one born-again believer that doesn't hate them, that doesn't want to kill them, that wants them to find the love of your Savior, that you view yourself as a sinner just like they're a sinner and to show compassion towards them. Not agreeing with their lifestyle at all, but getting across to them, by the way, man, a homosexual man, what he needs more than anything else is your friendship, real, legitimate, man-to-man friendship. That's probably what 99 percent of the homosexual guys have never, never had. And when you as a straight man withdraw from them, you take away what the Holy Spirit could use in a holy, powerful way to transform them. But if we're self-righteous, we are appalled by that kind of a sin. Or someone that's had an abortion, a murderer. Or someone that's been heterosexually, rampantly immoral. We get horrified at that. But when we go through the last part of Paul's list, it starts talking about greed and about arrogance and about being self-righteous and about deceitfulness. We don't get nearly as upset about that. And that's what the Apostle Paul says, when you judge that person, you're actually condemning yourself because Paul says this list goes together and God's law goes together. So like the Ten Commandments, if you break one of the Ten Commandments, it's like a vase that you've broken, it's all broken and you're condemned. And part of the picture the Apostle Paul is saying, it's like we all go down to the Venus prison. In the Venus prison, they have a whole hierarchy of sinners in the Venus prison. Every prison I've gone into, they have a whole hierarchy. They have a whole gradation. Like if you've molested a little child, you probably won't make it through your term in the prison if the fellow inmates find out. That's the lowest part of the hierarchy. And they'll kill you for that because you're a terrible sinner because you did that. But like I've often shared with you, if you murdered a policeman, then you're at the top of the the hierarchy. You're the good guy. And what I want you to see is the Apostle Paul is painting a picture. We're all in prison on planet Earth. And we're all convicted inmates. And we're all under a death sentence. But what we all tend to do is we set up a hierarchy and we compare ourselves to one another. And the Apostle Paul is saying when you judge someone else, you're actually condemning yourself... Because that anger that you have towards someone else is exposing that you're breaking the law as well. That you're breaking God's holy law as well. Look how we develop this point. Look at the next line in verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based upon truth. I want you to understand this. It doesn't make any difference what I think about homosexuality, what I think about gossip, what I think about arrogance, what I think about uh, greed... What I think about lying, it doesn't make any difference what I think about it. It's what God thinks about it. How many of you have ever been in a situation in life where you said, we'll never know the truth? Like with with, uh, some of the hearings we've had about the Supreme Court. Have you ever thrown your hands up in exasperation and said, we'll never know what really happened, right? We'll never know. In fact, if you watch, you know, you watch programs on TV, now they do real-life court dramas. And time and time again, you'll watch the whole court drama, and you go, man, I don't know. And what this text is saying is that one day, it's going to be totally the judgment of God. And I want you to really focus on this. This is really frightening to me from one sense. One day, we're going to be standing before God, according to Romans 2, and what Paul is saying that it will be totally based upon the truth. No quick-talking lawyers. No clever phrases. No little deals where a rich person, if he has a lot of money, or if he has an in with the judge, he's a good old boy, he'll get by. One day, all that's going to be gone. And what Paul is saying is that God's judgment... Against those who do those things in chapter 1, it's going to be totally based upon the truth. Totally based upon what's really true. Then in verse 3, Paul makes the conclusion So, when you, as a mere person, a mere man, a mere woman, when you pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for God's riches, for his kindness? For God's kindness towards all the human race, towards you, and towards people that sin in other ways than you. And God is being tolerant, not the way we think of tolerance, of tolerating evil, but he's restraining. The idea here is that he's restraining his judicial anger against sin, and he's patiently waiting. Why is he doing that? His kindness is to lead us towards repentance. This is powerful. What Paul is saying is that the judge of the universe, remember we started out this section, the wrath of God is being revealed against all wickedness, all kinds of wickedness. Every one of our wickedness is under the anger of God, something we hardly hear anything about. You say, well, Dave, man, I see people, they just sin horribly and they lie horribly and and God doesn't do anything about it. And often I'll have, pe- I'll have people say, well, Dave, I, I, you know, I don't, what you taught us isn't true. Man, I went to university and I didn't follow the commandments at all. I was immoral. And nothing happened to me. In fact, I had a blast. I had a really good time. And look at me, I even got a really good job. The Apostle Paul is saying that God is restraining because he loves you. And what does he want you to do? He wants you to come to a point in your life where you break of your sin, where you're sorry for your sin, and you come to a zero point where you realize how horrible, how destructive, how eternally damning our sin is. And then we turn to God. In fact, this whole argument, this section, we started out last week saying pagans that never go to church and live horrible lifestyles, they're under the judgment of God. In this section, we're talking about hypocrites in the hands of an angry God. And you're a hypocrite and I'm a hypocrite if we're angry at somebody for their sins, like homosexuality and like abortion. Like, I'll give you an example. In my own personal life, if I was going to leave Jesus, Mary and I would leave Jesus because some of the most powerful leaders that we've met in what's called evangelicalism lie. Just think nothing of lying. Mary and I have had men that would crucify a gay. They should be put in the electric chair. They should be banished from the country. They would crucify someone that took one drop of a beer. They would just be furious with someone that listened to rock music. And they would consider what we did today as the invasion of Satan into the holy sanctuary of God. But I've had those men look at Mary and I right in the eye and lie and think nothing of it and never talk to us again about it. And I would leave the faith if it wasn't for this holy book. Because this holy book says, you're all angry about these other sins. But God doesn't say, your lying's okay. Right now, right-wing evangelicalism, fundamentalism, if you want to call it that, is in disarray. And some of you have banked on it. You felt we could stop abortion. You felt we could bring in a righteous new kingdom. You felt that we could overcome things through politics. And now you have running... You have about eight marriages among your political candidates, our political candidates. The only one that's been married to one woman is a Mormon. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> and Newt Gingrich just went on focus on the family and he talked to James Dobson. And what did Newt tell James Dobson? He told James that while he was prosecuting President Clinton for having his affair with Monica Lewinsky and for lying about it, that he was having an immoral affair with his aide. That's where we're at. Now, I don't know what Newt's heart is, but I want to share something. You've got to get this. Why was Newt on James Dodson? And this is what I want you to think about the book of Romans. James often says, I think he's sincere. I think it's going to be okay. Brothers and sisters, I don't know that. I'm not Roman Catholic in my heritage. I don't have a pope. And I want you all to understand this, whether you're from a Roman Catholic background, a Protestant background, or no background at all, I'm going to stand before Jesus someday. And you know what? It's not going to be for whether or not I can run politically or not. It's not going to be whether I can get the leaders of evangelicalism to forgive me. It's going to be what really happened before God. And I want you to understand that's what the book of Romans is saying. This is really serious stuff. One day, I'm going to stand before a God, and it's going to be totally, totally real and fair and truthful and there will be no running for office there will be no trying to gain some population support it'll just be the incredible powerful righteousness of god and what i want you to get a hold of the church family is we shouldn't be wondering whether we can get a candidate to run If we have someone in our movement, like you've all heard this story of Ted Haggard, and he's trying to get homosexuality outlawed, and then his church family finds out that he's been having a homosexual affair, what about the young people that heard him speak? And our response to that, my response to that is down on my knees. Lord, what's happened to your name? What hypocrisy is in our lives. And my homosexual friends and all their blogs, man, they just say it's all a bunch of baloney. And it is. Unless we all break and realize when we condemn others, when you condemn others, you're condemning yourself. Because the Apostle Paul, like an incredibly powerful MRI, discerns right to the core of our heart. And he doesn't just pick out, as an inspired prophet of God, he doesn't just pick out the sins that don't bother you. He picks out all of the sin, And he says that all of us should drive it to zero point where we just come clean before God and just say, just as I am without one plea. I need a Savior to die for me. And he, America doesn't understand why Jesus had to die because we've forgotten the terrible affront to the just holiness of God when we sin. And that's why we have a movement where our leaders can be involved in horrible sin. But we just forgive them. And who knows whether anyone broke before God. And I want you to know that I'm going to teach you forgiveness. And I believe with all my heart that Newt Gingrich can be forgiven. But he can only be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there has to be a total zero point of true repentance where you're not running for office. You don't care what the consequences are. You just get flat on your face before a living Jesus Christ who gave his life. It's the only way that immorality can be wiped clean. And I can't forgive anyone for that, and neither can you. And the same thing's true of my pompousness and my greediness and my tendency to exaggerate and to lie and do those things. I need that all broken at the foot of the cross. The Apostle Paul goes to this point. I want to share something with you. I want you to think, what do you get the most angry about in someone else? Think of the area that you get the most angry about, husband, what you're really ticked at in your wife. Think about it. Because it's possible you're masking your sin. The fact that you're so angry about it and you fight it so hard. Like I had a friend as a kid, as a teenager, I started playing a lot of tennis. And my friend would get up an audience before an audience like this of 600 kids. And he would lambaste them about Anger. And hatred and losing their temper. And he would scream at them. In fact, I can remember saying, Hey, you know, you look a little bit angry. (laughs) And then, Tuesday afternoon, I played tennis against him. And I went to high school in Florida. I haven't played tennis in a long time. But when I was in high school, we played tennis every afternoon because my roommate was really into it. So, I got good just from playing my roommate that wanted to be the next Arthur Ashe. And... I started beating my friend, and there were times when he would throw his racket at me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about the fact that when we're so angry at someone else, every armchair psychologist is saying, you protest too much. And that's what I want all of you to understand, and I want you to open your heart. Some of you are filled with anger this morning. Some of the things that's breaking our heart. Mary and I see people that are eaten up with anger. And they destroy everybody around them because of their anger. But they'll never face it. They don't admit that they're angry. They don't even think they're angry. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is saying, God is giving you time to repent. He's giving you time. He's being kind to you. He's being tolerant of you. He's letting you have time to break of your sin and for me to break of my sin. Because he says there's going to come a time. Now, the next paragraph is really hard. In fact, Mary, and her as she read this passage, said, man, this contradicts everything the Apostle Paul's going to say in the book. Now, I want you to think really hard about this passage. All of your friends have the idea that if you consistently do what is good, how many of you have ever heard someone say, If you consistently try to do what is good, you're going to get to heaven. Anybody ever heard that? All of your friends intuitively know the good guys should go to heaven and the bad guys should go to hell. Would you agree with me as an audience? Now look carefully what the Apostle Paul says. He says this in the next paragraph here. He says, But because of your stubbornness of heart, in verse 5, and your unrepentant heart, hopefully you're not going to have that, that's the opposite of repentance, It says, you are storing up wrath for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So what is the Lord saying? It's what I've been teaching you. Our judgment doesn't make any difference. It's what's going to happen one day. And what's going to happen one day? Is there going to be a judgment seat of God? Yes. That's what he's saying. He says, when his righteous judgment will be revealed, when God will give to each person according to what he has to those who by persistence in doing good seek for glory, and that's not their own personal glory, but they're seeking to have the glory of living. Like in, in Old Testament thinking, to be in the glory is to be present with God. So this is someone that wants to, to, to get close to the glory of God. They want to live close to God. It says they live for glory, that to honor. They want to have the honor of being one of God's people And they want to live, to have eternal life. They want immortality. They want to live forever. How many of you would like those things? The Apostle Paul is saying if you persistently seek those things and you do good, it says he will give eternal life. But the opposite, but for those who are self-seeking, who live just for their own glory instead of God's glory, for those that that reject the truth, they don't respond to the message that I'm speaking from the book of Romans today. They reject the truth. It says, and those who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Just the opposite. Instead of eternal life, there's going to be eternal judgment. It's Paul's picture here. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, the religious person of the first century, and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. This is Paul's point. God, in the eternal judgment, He's not going to care about who you are as a person, the group that you're a part of. It's going to be totally impartial. And you got to get this. The God of the universe is saying that before the final judgment seat of God, that those who persistently seek what is good and live a lifetime committed to the good, the glory of God, the honor of God, seeking His righteousness... It says they're going to go to heaven. Now, your unbelieving friends believe that. And what most of you do as believers, I do it too. We jump right to the gospel. We jump and say, oh, you can't do that. You need to let the Holy Spirit help someone understand that you can't do that. Do you understand that you can't do that? This chapter is going to close by saying, no one seeks after God. This chapter is going to close by saying... Very clearly, no one's going to be made righteous before God by seeking to obey the law. But we jump so quickly to that that we forget there is a righteous, holy God. And one day, everybody on planet Earth, this is what Romans saying, it's really powerful. He's saying that God's been speaking to everybody on planet Earth. He speaks to the, the, to the unclothed Indian way down the Amazon jungle, he speaks to the sophisticated French people that Mir and I were with just a few weeks ago. The Apostle Paul is saying that God has been speaking and is speaking to every one of those people. And what he's saying is that those who persistently seek good, those who persistently respond to his voice inside of them, telling them how powerful he is, how kind he is, how gracious he is, he's saying that those people who who actually live that good life that everyone thinks they live, God says if they really, really, really live that good life, they'll go to heaven, which is fair. How many agree? Is that fair? What about you? In the next paragraph, look what the Apostle Paul says. He speaks about people and their conscience. Look what he says. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. In other words, if you're a Gentile, you've never heard of the Ten Commandments, he says you're going to perish apart from the law. Why? Because all who sin under the law will be judged by the law, but for those who hear the law, who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey it. Indeed, the Gentiles... Now, this is a powerful thing that Paul says. Indeed, the Gentiles who do not have a law do by nature... In other words, they have in their heart, in their natural life, in their life here on planet earth, they do what's required of the law... They are a law for themselves, even those who do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing them, now defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judgment secrets to Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now, this is what Paul is saying. How many of you have ever noticed that there's a battle going on inside of your heart? Anybody ever had that battle? Little children have that battle? And sometimes when you do right, how does your conscience feel? Good, doesn't it? You'd say, How many of you ever use the phrase, my conscience is clear? I have a good conscience, okay? So you know what Paul is talking about? There's a battle going on. You know what? Your unbelieving friends have that same battle. The Apostle Paul is saying, Some of your friends that have never come to church, they've never heard what the Bible's saying, it's saying that they feel guilty. I had a guy tell me this week, he wasn't really raised, you know, and he wasn't raised here in the Bible, and he was immoral, and he told me, he so Dave, when I went to bed with a person that wasn't my partner, I felt horrible. I felt guilty. It bothered me long before this individual came to know Jesus. How about you? You know that battle. I want you to know the Apostle Paul is saying everyone has that battle going on, and this is what it's saying. If you consistently listen to God's voice, not that your conscience is always God's voice, but it's accurate enough at the time, if you consistently followed that conscience and you consistently did what you knew to be right and it lined up with what God said was right, you know what? If you did that for a lifetime, you'll go to heaven. How many of you agree with that? That's hard for you, isn't it? As believers, need to really understand this because as believers, we don't get this. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you try and persistently do what is good and actually do it, you go to heaven. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you have consistently obeyed your conscience? So how many of you say, I'm ready, if I die right now, I'm going to stand before God and God can put my inner life and my outward life up on the screen and just put it all out there. And I'll say, all right, God, look at that life. You should, I'm a good child. Take me to heaven and live with you forever. Anybody ready to do that? Boy, I'm not. And that's what I want you to push your unbelieving friends to understand. You see, when your unbelieving friend says, I'm trying to be good, you say, well, tell me about it. I'm trying to obey this from on the Mount. Then, what say, well, what does the Sermon of the Mount say? And so you open up to Matthew chapter 5 and say, let's start reading the Sermon of the Mount. You tell me, you're going to get to heaven by obeying the Sermon of the Mount. Let's see what, the, what Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount. So I said to one of my friends, you're going to get to heaven by obeying the Sermon of the Mount. It says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with, them, with her. That if you've gotten angry and you felt inside, I could kill that person. The Lord said, you've already murdered them. And I said to my friend, you know what? I'm an adulterer and a murderer based upon the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm out of here trying to obey the Sermon on the Mount because I've already blown it. How about you? And I let the Holy Spirit work on their sin. Now, what does this mean for our lives today as we close? The Apostle Paul is saying this. You know, last week when I spoke to you, you can see they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? Some of you are self-righteous. You're really angry at certain sins, but you're blind about what's really going on inside of you. And the Apostle Paul wants you to repent. He wants you to become a person that just opens their life like a slate before the Lord. And if you've come to Jesus, you came by grace, by accepting that. And that's what makes you an open person. It makes you an honest person. It makes you a person that, can, that someone can appeal to. Your brothers and sisters can talk to you. And this is so important for your spiritual growth. It's so important for you to capture the power. One day, there's going to be no partiality. There's going to be no partiality. And there's going to be no favoritism. There's going to be no special favors. There's just going to be the total justice of God... And it's, it's the recognition of this that causes me to want to run to the cross. And that's what I want our church family to do. I want you to look at getting the truth into our lives and we'll be finished. Number one this week, I'd like you to go back and I'd like you to carefully read over Paul's list of sins of Romans 1, 18 through 32. That's that section I've been harping on. Which of these make you the most angry? I'm just underlining something I taught you earlier. Which sins do you find yourself personally horrified about? Now go over the list again and pick out the sins that you are most susceptible to. Doesn't the fact that you realize how wrong and worthy of judgment some of the exposed sins are prove that God will impartially judge you for the sins in the list that get you? This is Paul's point. He's driving all of us to recognize that we're all sinners so that we will repent and will turn to faith in Jesus for his forgiveness based upon Calvary. I want you to think about that. The second thing I'd like you to do is that Paul teaches us in Romans that we're saved by faith in Christ alone, but Paul means that a believer's life is genuinely transformed. Believers in Christ who persist in doing good, according to Romans 1 and Romans 2, are going to get to heaven. This is what it's saying. It's saying that when we really come to Jesus, that our lives are powerfully transformed. And it doesn't mean that you're saved by your own self-effort. But the Apostle Paul is saying, and this is going to be his major thrust at the latter part of the book. He's saying when you really believe in his gospel, the power of Jesus comes to live inside of you. And it starts to change you. And you persist in it through a lifetime. And Paul's not in those passages that I gave you. Paul is questionable. questionable. Like a believer that says, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus loves me. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And they live a hardened, unrepentant, immoral life. The Apostle Paul is questionable about that. Now, the Bible is crystal clear. If they genuinely believed in Christ, then one day they'll be saved. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says that an immoral believer will lose his physical life, but he'll be saved so as by fire. So there's verses like that. A lot of you have been troubled over the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, what's he talking about? And the reason those verses are in the Bible is that for Paul, if you genuinely have come to the zero point and turned away from your sin based upon Jesus and you've let Jesus come to live inside of you and you've let resurrected power come to live inside of you, then you can't just blatantly lie and have it not bother you. You can't just break contracts and get angry with people and never deal with it. The Lord is saying that this really makes a difference in our life. And that's what I want you to get really serious about. If you're a child that says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but as you move up in your teenage years, it doesn't make any difference. You live just like your unbelieving friend. You say, oh, but I'm going to go to heaven because I trusted Jesus. If you don't care about Jesus and there's no evidence that he's working in your life, I don't know where you are, and I'm not going to comfort you. Because Jesus happens to be the most powerful Savior there is. And when the Apostle Paul, the reason he spends all this time in Romans 1 and 2, and then in chapter 3, the reason he spends all this time confronting us with our sin is because if you jump automatically to Calvary, and you jump automatically to the free gift of eternal life, you don't understand why you need that cross. You don't understand why sin is so serious. And I believe that a lot of the American public, that's where they are. They have no idea what Paul's talking about. And the Apostle Paul is saying that you can't have prostitutes for Jesus. You can have prostitutes that used to be prostitutes that believed in Jesus and became faithful, loyal, loving wives. Paul talks about that. You can't have gays for Jesus, and yet we have large elements, gays for Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, no, you can't have that. You can have people, according to 1 Corinthians, that used to be gay... But they came to zero point, and now they've received resurrection power. And he'll say, in such were some of you. You can't have liars for Christ. You can't have materialists, idolaters for Jesus. You just can't do that. Because when Jesus comes into our life, he is the resurrected one, and he gives us a new life. And what helps us to really understand the power of what he's done is to understand how serious it was for us to be condemned on death row. And so I want you to pray for me. I want to never, never forget that once I was lost, that I'm just as bad as any other sinner. The man who wrote these words, the Apostle Paul said, I'm the greatest of sinners, and I want to always join with him. And I want you to leave this week because your society desperately needs to meet someone that really understands that their loving Father in heaven is also the judge of the universe. And they need to meet someone that when they say church-going religious people are a bunch of hypocrites, you just say, I agree. That's what I learned at church on Sunday. When they say, I think good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, I want you to say, I learned that on Sunday too. But have you ever thought of this? How good you think you need to be. And they need to meet someone that says, you might think you're good, but I know my heart. And I want you to know that I don't think I'm good at all. Except for this incredible, amazing grace where Jesus forgave me because he paid the penalty of my sin." If you've never met that forgiving, glorified, resurrected Savior, if you're gay, Jesus can forgive you. If you're greedy, Jesus can forgive you. I pray for those Christian leaders that broke my heart, and I haven't turned away from Jesus. If I sin against you, feel free. You need to be able to come up to me and confront me about it, and I want to do that with you. Because Romans creates a real family that knows the incredible searing justice of God and they let that searing righteousness cleanse them and bring them to zero point so they open up to this incredible flowing, forgiving blood of Jesus that makes us clean. So as you go out this week, you live in a world that desperately needs to hear Romans chapter 2. Go and get them. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.